Mental illness, mental health, anxiety, depression, OCD. There's so many topics to cover when it comes to mental health. And as church leaders, we often feel like we have to be pre prepared to answer all those questions. Well, the interview you're about to hear is actually going to be part, we're going to throw it in the library of our Mentally Healthy Saints virtual library. And this comes from a past conference that we did where we interviewed 20 plus individuals. They had presentations and personal experiences and all sorts of good stuff like you're about to hear. And we put it all in this library. And so you're going to enjoy this episode and you're going to think, I want more of that type of discussion when it comes to mental health in the Latter-day Saint tradition. And uh, you're going to want more. So you'll go to leadingsaints.org slash 14 and you'll get 14 days of the full library. And we'll also include all of our other libraries of virtual conferences that we've had. And so just jump in, binge, such good content. Go to leadingsaints.org slash 14 for 14 days free access. All right, let's go around the room, do some introductions. I'll start. So my name is Kurt Frankham. I am the executive director of Leading Saints, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And we are dedicated, you know, have a mission here to help Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. Now, me personally, I live uh, in Stansbury Park, Utah, which is in Tooele County. I grew up in West Valley City and uh, been running Leading Saints really since 2010 when it started out as a hobby blog. 2014 is when the podcast started and now we are over 10 million downloads. And uh, man, we're glad that you are now one of those downloads. Let's jump in. Today, I had the opportunity to sit down through the powers of the internet with Michael and Susan Daly. How are you two? We're great, great. thank you. I guess to be uh, more accurate, right now it's Elder and, and Sister Daly. Is that right? That's correct. <laughs> Maybe tell us a little bit about your uh, about your your mission, what you're doing right now. We're serving as uh, temple missionaries in the uh, Elmira, New York Temple, and uh, it's a great experience. We uh, have opportunities to work at the distribution center as well here in Palmyra. Uh, we are involved with Billion Graves, which is searching the uh, gravestones here in the Palmyra City Cemetery and uploading that information. And it's also passed on to Family Search. And uh, we're involved in several other things to help, but our main focus is serving in the temple. Awesome. And so do you both just sort of, you're, I mean, from the uh, the day-to-day, -day, you're, you're typical temple workers, right? But maybe right. they don't have as much help in the area to fulfill those assignments That's locally? Is that the idea? Yeah. They used to have as many as 25 missionary couples here during the summertime, but we have currently have five. And it's, of course, been encouraged that more of the local people come and participate, and they are. So we, we just simply work as ordinance workers, and we, we generally work all five days of the, the, the temples open and sometimes two shifts a day. This upcoming week, we're really going to be busy, but that's because so many people come to this destination temple to uh, serve and to do baptisms. We're very involved with youth baptisms and all the groups that come. Nice. And for you, Susan, was this the type of mission you were hoping to serve? <laughs> I didn't know what we were going to do, but um, we had had a lot of experience working in the temple. So on your, on your application, they asked for all the skills that you have, and then that's what they use. So I wasn't awesome. surprised, <laughs> but it's great nice. here. Awesome. Well, uh, this interview came to be uh, from an article I came across in the in the church news called 
uh, why working at Desert Industries helped a former stake president heal from depression. And of course, my my ears perked up a little bit, and I thought that's what you, what's a what an interesting dynamic. Uh, you know, typically there's there's sort of the stigma when it comes to mental health and church leadership, and you know that church leaders have it all together. You know, they've yeah. they've cracked the code. They're doing the equation. You know, they don't they don't have problems, right? They're just there to to help everybody else, right? But I, I worry that so, there's a lot of leaders out there that are you know, suffering in silence because they wow. think they should have it all together. You know, I'm the bishop. What do you mean? I, I can't have problems or I, I don't, I don't need the therapist or counselor, but uh, so I, I love these type of articles and shout out to Mary Richards who, who put this together. Um, so I, I'd love to just go through your story, which this article talks about. We'll link to it. Um, but let's just start first with some of your leadership experience. Michael, when, when do you feel like your first heavy leadership calling came to be in, in your church experience? Uh, I'm sure as an ironic priesthood holder and president of the teacher's quorum, and then at that time, <laughs> president of the priest quorum. Uh, yeah. Those were great, great opportunities. And then on my mission, of course, and, uh, you know, we lived in Las Vegas for almost 40 years and had many, many opportunities to serve. And and, uh, you know, it was a bishop and the, then a stake young men's president and then stake president. And then got involved at the temple there in Las Vegas. And then we retired and, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> moved to Logan, Utah. And, uh, you know, in, uh, before we left Logan, uh, my mental capacity had really started to go downhill. And uh, like you said, I didn't want to admit it. And uh, my wife, Susan, here sitting with me, uh, found a wonderful therapist. And sitting in that therapist's office one day, I, I said, I, I just, I can't do this. I can't. She said, what do you mean? I said, I, you know, I've been a bishop. I've been a stake president. I, I can't have these issues. And she looked at me and pointed her finger at me and very firmly said, do you think you're the only priesthood leader that ever sat in that chair? Hmm. No, ma'am. <laughs> and from there, I think I started to understand that regardless of our background, regardless of our calling, we can all have times of, you know, when we're not there totally mentally. And yeah. uh, that's kind of the story. Yeah. So, Susan, from from your point of view, what was how would you describe it? I mean, were you in those busy leadership years as things seemed to be okay, and then when those ended and retirement came? But I mean, what what were you seeing from your point of view? Well, he he struggled for a while, and it was it was like you said he he was like I'm a I'm a bishop or whatever. I can't have these problems, and they and they were ignored for some years, mm. and they just came to a head when several incidents came and I had to call in the state president and the bishop at that time to get him to go see a counselor. <laughs> Sorry. <honey. laughs> so do what you got to do, right? We had this wonderful therapist and it took all three of us to convince him to, to go. So yeah. but that was yeah. a huge blessing. She was amazing. Mm -hmm. So Michael, how would you describe the, your mental health or any mental struggles when you're in these callings as bishop and, and stake president? I mean, obviously there, there's a lot of pressure there. They're busy, but was that, I mean, was it easier to manage because you were busy? Yes. You know, you've got, you've got things to do. You know, you, I yeah. come home from work and I need to get to the church. And, uh, you know, I would sit and listen and counsel people sometimes and remember 
saying in my mind at least, hey, that was good counsel. I'm going to try and follow that. <laughs> and uh, the mantle of the priesthood is is very powerful, and I think it sustained me, though I was having problems. And uh, I don't think anybody around me noticed that I had mental issues. Uh, and then when I was released, and I also, in the article, you might remember that you know, I my career job, I was laid off because another company purchased our company. So I was in a situation where I'm released as a stake president and I don't have the big job I used to have. And, uh, you know, I had to go out and find another one. It was great help. We started serving at the temple. And when I was at the temple, I didn't really have any mental issues. And so we served, I served every Saturday, which you know, I thought was a real blessing and a, a nice thing for them to do. Little did I know they love to have people come work on Saturday. It's a hard day. And that really helped, but it just wasn't going away. And so we, we made the decision to move to Logan, Utah, and I found a job there. And, uh, uh, you know, that was fine. It was a new start, a new beginning. We, you know, we got a new house. We downsized. We we're really preparing for what we wanted, like a mission one day. And, but after about six months at my job, I just got really bad. And I agreed with my employer that, you know, thank you, but we need to part ways. Mm -hmm. So we did. And, uh, you know, after about a month of not just being at home, I was just really bad. I couldn't, I couldn't get out of bed, the typical depression and, um, you know, the other feelings that you have. And so our good bishop at the time, uh, you know, instructed and helped my wife. And I went to Logan Regional Hospital and spent uh, four or five days. And they, they were just wonderful. They were really, really helpful. And they were insistent that my problem was I needed to be busy. If I was busy, I would be fine. And they also got me on the right medications, um, I think everyone who listens to this should know that you've got to be so careful with medications because it's an experiment. You, you just don't know what's going to be best for you. And uh, I happened to get with the uh, pharmacist, the uh, physician's assistant at Bear River Mental Health, and they got me on the right medication, which I've been on ever since, and it just made such a difference to just – be me. I know if I don't take that medication, I have a problem. And one of the biggest situations that I learned was that it was it wasn't me. You know, when you have mental health problems, you think it's you. You're just you're just crazy. You need to be locked away. And it, that's not true. You need you need to understand that you have health issues. Just like if you broke your arm, you know, you you've got to have hospitalization or whatever it takes. And Getting on the right medication and listening to them, you know, really helped. And uh, I also started having what I would call brain treatments. Would you like to explain that, Susan? Yeah, let's yeah. hear it. Yeah. It was, it was a little bit, I was looking for something because he needed more. It was just, he was not responding. I mean, the medications helped, helped him live day to day, but... He wasn't himself, and he wasn't able to do a lot of the things he'd been doing before. So I looked around at all kinds of things, the electrode things, and et cetera. And um, I found through my sister, uh, it's called brain core treatment. 
And um, it's very simple as far as doing it is concerned. It doesn't involve any kind of pain or discomfort or anything. It's just retraining your brain to work together, both sides. Or I, you know, I don't know. Anyway, so he started doing that. That made a huge difference because your brain gets gets um, scattered. I don't know how to explain. Out of sync. Out of sync. Yeah. Yes, that's good. Out of sync, okay. and it doesn't just automatically fix itself. So that was yeah. very helpful. We had, you know, I went there at least once or twice a week, and we could see improvement. I couldn't see it. It took 47 visits. Okay. (laughs) It took a lot of visits. Who's counting, Susan? Not me. (laughs) In in that process of of changing my brain back, I had to go back to the uh, mental unit at Logan Regional again. And uh, they were so nice. It was like, you know, Mike, hey, you know. they were never critical. They never, you know, they treated it as a health illness, not as I was, you know, somebody different. And there were some very interesting people in there. And at night, and you couldn't have a belt. You couldn't have shoes. You, at night, they would lock a huge metal door. And that didn't bother me so much as realizing that this was really serious. And, you know, they again insisted that I, that I be busy and be on the medications. So when I got out the second time, uh, we searched around, and I just didn't know that full-time employment would be okay. So we decided to retire early at 62, and and that worked out fine so that we didn't have as much pressure, and, and we had other funding that was good, but I was not good. So of all things, we went to the temple, and I started to volunteer at the temple, in Logan and worked in the cafeteria and the brother that was in charge there just put his arm around me and said, come on, let's get to work. And it was so helpful to go to the temple every day. You can imagine Mm -hmm. every day and have a prayer there every day and, and, and no, no bad influence, you know, and just work. And that was great. And, you know, that was in, uh, 20, December of 2019, well, in March of 2020, you know, they closed all the temples down. Yeah. And uh, so I worked at home. I repainted the garage. I did everything I could think to do. And it was all done. And I, I contacted Desert Industries, and I'd been on what was called an internship program, in the te- at the temple. working at the temple. And so I said, well, is there any way I can come to work there? And they said, of course. And, you know, there's a stigma to desert industries. You know, oh, my gosh, you're working at desert. I wish people wouldn't do that, you know. Yeah. I went there and I said, look, I'll do whatever I need to do. You don't have to pay me. Just let me work. And they said, no, no, we're going to pay you. It's not a lot, but we're going to pay you. (laughs) And uh, they took me and, you know, there's various places you can work, which I had the opportunity to do later, but. They had me go out and work on the dock where you receive items. And out on the dock, they usually put the roughest young men or young women they find. (laughs) And so I'm out there and I've been there about two weeks and I'm, you know, in my mid sixties and I've got all these young people with me and I'm just trying to work, just trying to work. We're out working, whatever, just stay working. 
And they, I told them in the beginning, I do not want to be in charge. Please just let me work. I have, you know, they knew I had my problems. And I've been there two weeks and they made me um, uh, in charge of the dock. And by that, I mean, as a, as a worker, so like a lead person. And yeah. I had, had wonderful supervisors, job coaches, great men, but and women. And women yeah. But I had, you know, the opportunity to just work out there. Well, I found that doing this, which I had been so afraid of and had such problem with, now I'm back in charge of people again. And dealing with their issues and, you know, what's going on today and how can I help you? And it brought me back to being me. And, you know, they didn't they didn't do anything different. I had to have the same interviews as everybody else. And I had to ex- express what my goals were and how am I going to move forward. And I didn't really care what people thought of me working there or not, you know. And in the beginning, it was during COVID, so we're all wearing masks anyway. So, you know. Yeah. I started seeing also that my personality was coming back and that I was having a great deal of fun greeting people as they came to donate, make donations. Bad dad jokes and all. Bad dad <laughs> jokes and all. But anyway, we, we, had, we just had a marvelous time, and we had many of our young people go on to better employment. We had some that, well, you know, we had to let go. We had different situations, but it, it brought me back to being me. And that was important. Well, at Desert Industries, they say to you, you've got to have a goal. Well, if you don't know what you should do, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm retired, you know, I just want to work. What do you mean? And I said, well, you pray about it. And I did. And we talked to Susan and I decided that going on a mission would be our goal. At that point, we didn't see how we could do that. Uh, who was going to live in our house? What were we going to do? Just a lot of questions. And so I made that my goal. And, you know, in the process of a little bit of time, uh, we had all of the situations or problems solved. Our our youngest daughter and her wonderful family, her husband and our three little girls live in our home. Our finances are fine. Um, And we, we just prayed that we'd get the right assignment. Well, you know, I had opportunities maybe to serve in Canada and different things. But we wrote down first Temple Mission. So we were having a family reunion in July of 2021, and um, we got our mission call. Comes, you know, by email now, not the old way. And uh, we opened it up, and Susan opened it up. Tell them what you thought about it. <laughs> I was stunned. It was so fun to have all our whole family was there. It was so fun. But yeah. I, I wasn't expecting Palmyra because they tell you that you, you don't request that. That's not somewhere you ask to go. To yeah, side. yeah, I bet. <laughs> so I, we were thrilled, absolutely. So, thrilled. do you feel like your this current mission sort of helps you continue that? I mean, keeps you busy. You're you're involved, oh, yeah. and yeah, yeah. And we we work with the most wonderful people. Oh. Our our temple presidency and the matron and assistant matrons are some of the nicest people we've ever met in our life. We uh, but we got here, and that you know, our, we thought we were going to serve for eighteen months, and we found out that. You know, it's either six months or a year here at Palmyra. And we talked to the temple president and explained our situation. And is there any way we could have an extension? And we got an extension. So we're here until next April. We've been here since last November. And I can't think of a better place on earth to be than here right now. 
because yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm I can look out my apartment window over there and I'm looking right at the sacred grove. How about that? Yeah. You know, in, in about five minutes, I can be in the middle of the sacred grove. In about five minutes, I can be on the temple grounds. Wow. Uh, you know, in less time, I can be in the Smith's home, you know, the replica they put there. And so we're, you know, from the temple in Palmyra inside the building, I know many people have been there. As you walk down the foyer, the opening there, there's a window that President Hinckley insisted be put in the temple so you can look out at the sacred grove. And... It's a pretty powerful place. And yeah, I bet. So all of that's contributed. I'm not going to tell you that I haven't had some bad days. Uh, this morning wasn't too great, as a matter of fact. But oh, yeah. I have, I have a wonderful wife. I have medication. We have friends. We have wonderful family. And so we're more. Busy. Yeah, we're, and we're busy. You know, yeah, we've got the family so, home in barbecue tonight, for example. So, oh, nice. Well, yeah. we better hurry up so you can get yeah. it. <laughs> no. I'm sorry, Go so, ahead. Uh, yeah, take me back to uh, those busy years of being bishop and stake president. Like, mm -hmm. maybe you're sort of maybe in denial that something of a mental health concern was happening, but what did the bad days look like then? Because I really want to articulate it clearly and have you explained as because maybe there's leaders out there sort of in denial as well but yeah. they, it, when they could do more so what did a bad day with mental health look like when you were busy with those callings and with your work i i think that the key to those days being okay was that i had tremendous executive secretaries i mean beyond great mm. and many times they were we might use the term in cahoots but with my wife and you know, they would watch me and monitor me. And, you know, I, my work was very demanding. I worked for a media company. And a lot of that time, I had as many as 40 people working under my direction and was expected to generate large revenues. And that was enough. But I, I knew that I would come home and I would, you know, contact my executive secretary and say, what what's going on for this evening that I'm not aware of or whatever. And I would tell them, I said, I don't want to see those people because it would just, you know, just start pounding my head. Mm -hmm. And both of them said, well, bishop or president, they're going to be there. And I know you are as well. So you might as well go ahead and deal with this and let's get it done. Well, by the time I had time to think about it, pray about it and be there when the door opened, it was, hello, how are you? Come on in, you know, and mm -hmm. I was what I should be. And, and I could go home, unfortunately, Going home sometimes, I would just have to sit in the chair for a while. But I don't think anybody in our congregations knew that there was a problem. And yeah. my executive secretaries were very good to help me and monitor me, as it says to do in the handbook. And I have a wonderful wife. So, you know, those days go on. The, the advice I would give to anyone suffering now is do reach out to your executive secretary. Read through the handbook on what his duties are, and then pray every day as long as you need to pray to make sure that when you have that person come into your office, they feel the love of the Savior. And as yeah. a state president, one of the most important things you do, of course, is support your bishops. You know, I had, I had nine bishops that reported to me, and I had to be there for every one of them. And, you know, sometimes they would come and they would be very heavy burdened. And I had to be able to receive that, put my feelings aside, encourage them, help them, make sure they knew they were loved. 
I'm mean, without those nine bishops, I'm I'm nothing. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I yeah. go on and on, but that's that's kind of the background of yeah. this story. So was it so was it a lot of these? Let me follow here with uh, there was it like a. As your executive secretary would read off some of the people coming in, was it these were like heavy burdens they were kev- carrying? It was sort of this ambivalence of like, I don't know if I can help carry that burden for them tonight. You got it. You yeah. know, or people, so, people that I knew were going to come in and need to do some, you know, confessing. And mm. when you're in that position as a bishop, you know, you represent the Lord Jesus Christ and you need to have a loving and open heart. And sometimes I wasn't prepared for that, but bless those brethren and my wife's, my wife, you know, I was prepared by the time they got there. And I love that statement of, well, Bishop, they're going to be there and you're going to be there. So we need to, <laughs> we need to get ready. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and was your I, executive secretary sort of aware that you just need to push through this or? Yeah, both of them. Yeah. And, and I, I love those brothers. Both of them went on to be great bishops and they're living great lives now, and uh, yeah, I re- I really appreciate that. Susan had wanted to yeah. make a comment. Yeah, Susan, what did you notice uh, during those years? Well, here here's my perspective on it. Um, he was at work, gave everything he had at work. Church gave everything he had at church. When he came home, he'd had nothing left to give, mm-hmm. and so sometimes. When, when you feel that way, because you, you have to still come home and be the dad and the husband. And, yep. Um, if you're not aware that it's a, it's a mental issue, if you don't discuss that with your spouse so they understand, I think even discussing that one with another will help to ease the burden when they come home. Because sometimes you just need to not be there. I don't know if he understood. He needed to not be there. He needed to sit in a chair and have nothing to think about for a long time. And yeah. so it's just, there's a difference when he's serving, when you're using the spirit that keeps you whole. But when you leave that behind, then you're in trouble. So mm. I think it's very important. If, if you feel like you have a mental issue, feel like you're not in control of your mental thoughts and actions and feelings to, to get a counselor, to get a therapist that you can just let it all out because sometimes that's a heavy burden for just a wife to bear alone. You just need to have someone you can let it all out. That's safe. Not going to talk about it to anybody, but if you keep it pent up, you're not going to have a good home life. And if I could add one more comment, I mean, I, I, I think I've paid a very, high price with my children. We have six wonderful children. You know, they're all active in the church, doing great things. We have 18 grandchildren. But my relationships with many of my children is not as good as it could have been. And now as I try to make it good all these years later, that's difficult for them. And uh, they all love mom. And sometimes I'm jealous of that. But that was the price that was paid because I you know, I'd given at work, I'd given at church, I couldn't give any more family and I needed to. So I hope leaders yeah. out there will think about that and think about, you know, give to your family first, because if you don't, later on, there's going to be a price to be paid. 
Yeah, and they they it's easy for them just to get the scraps, right, or or nothing no. at all. Yeah, I, uh, so important. Anything else, Michael? If you were to go back in time and talk to yourself during those bishop stake president years, like any other advice that you'd give to yourself? I I think so. Don't you know? Number one is be loving and kind. You know, when I became a bishop, I had followed a great bishop as his counselor, and I was just way too intense. You know, I was way too, I was way too much. Well, people need to be punished. It was ridiculous. You know, by the time I released the state president, I don't know if I would hold a disciplinary council on anybody. I just try to love them. And yeah. there's times when it's necessary, and I understand that. But I think my stress level would have gone way down, and my mental capacity been better if I would have just, from the beginning, loved people, just loved them unconditionally. And yeah. You know, that's, that's yeah. the advice I'd give myself. Yeah, I heard it said once uh, that the remarkable thing about being a common judge in Israel is you become less judgmental. <laughs> and you just learn to love people, you know, and, yeah. and you realize that's that's what works. So Yeah, you, you sit in that chair representing the Lord Jesus Christ and you really understand how much he loves us. And you try to emulate that love and it, you know, you get really good. You finally figure it all out and they release you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything else that you two can think of that would be worth mentioning about those, about the years in the calling as bishop and stake president that we haven't touched on, or did we cover it pretty well? I, go ahead. Um, I think the one thing is to not, to not let pride stay in the way of, of getting treatment, of getting help. Hmm. Because I know it's it's getting better, but stigma about mental health is is pretty pretty bad, and so you can you can be the most loved, most wonderful person on the earth, and you could get that mental health illness. And if you just think um, I can't be like that because people look up to me, and you don't get help, it's it's just going to prove destruction at the yeah. end. I had, especially yeah. as a bishop, I had a few uh, sisters that that had problems, and I wanted to refer them to other people, you know, therapists or whatever, and they wouldn't go. I said, it, it's you, bishop, or I'm not going to deal with this. Oh, what wow. do you do? Mm -hmm. And so I got a little uh, pretty good at that, and our uh, I was released as bishop and was the stake young men's president, and there were sisters in our stake that were having particular problems, and our stake president had me give them counsel and because they wouldn't go see somebody. And that starts playing on, you know, why aren't you, you're telling people to go see somebody. Why aren't you willing? Well, I'm the, I'm the bishop. I'm on this mission from the stake president. I don't need help. And I, yeah. I really, I really did. I really did. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that ironic that some of our best advice is what we need to hear, right? But because oh, yeah. it's coming out of our mouth, it's like we don't hear it, right? We don't internalize it. Yeah. So, interesting. Okay. So tell me about um, the, I, I just think of this dynamic, and I remember it in my own life where I served as a bishop for five years, got called, and I, was, I thought I was about to be released, but then the stake president got released. I was called into the new, uh, you know, stake presidency, and I served in there for a couple of years. And then we moved from the stake, and it was like this weird, like I couldn't put my finger on it. But about a year later, I turned to my wife and I said, "Huh, I don't have any friends," <laughs> and because my for a decade, 
for a decade, my friendships, my brotherhood was yeah. all worked into these callings, right? And, and rightly right. so. And th- that's one of my favorite parts about those experiences, that brotherhood I had with, with other men I worked with. Um, and my heart needed it. And then it wasn't there. And so there's all these interesting dynamics to transitioning out of a heavy leadership calling. And a lot of times our culture sort of congratulates you like, Hey, isn't it great? You finally don't have to deal with all that stuff and you can just focus on your family. Right. But it's, it, it's, you know, five, 10 years, that's a long time to the point that you don't even remember what life was like or how it felt not to be in these callings. And so you have this identity crisis a little bit. So anything from your experience that comes to mind, good or bad, or what did the bad days look like when, when you were transitioning out of these roles, especially losing your job on top of that. Yeah, it, it was tough. I used to tell people, you know, I'll just serve wherever they call me. If they, if I'm the person that puts the hymnals in the pews, you know, that'll be great. Well, it's not quite like that. You know, you, yeah. you stand back, you, you feel the mantle leave you and you just, Oh my goodness. You're just a person. And then on top of that, I, I had the job for 33 years and, and was doing very well, and our you know our company got bought, and I made it through the first two rounds of layoffs. But it was strictly a how much money you were making thing, and you know I mm-hmm. went to work for one of my clients, and that was good, but it, it was just a different culture from what I was used to, and and uh, I was lonely. And you know we moved to Logan, and uh, our ward is just fantastic. I mean, so many wonderful people, and our stake president, you know, so I had a relationship with the stake president and uh, with our bishopric and, and that was okay, but it really took them giving me a calling, you know, during COVID where I had to go out and meet people. I was the ward temple and family history leader. And I think that's the biggest thing is embrace a new calling. If they don't give you one, pray for them, you know, go see them. Hey, Bishop, I need a call. Our bishop was sensitive that I wouldn't be able to function, but the moment he felt like I could function, you know, having a calling, I had to push myself, but it it made a big difference. And we feel like members of the ward and we feel, you know, just great. But yeah, I mean, we moved to another state and everything, totally different, you know, LDS culture and but it was wonderful, but you know, the priority of going on a mission, that was where we needed to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I wonder if you could do a survey of all leaders, like state presidents, bishops that are released. I wouldn't be surprised if half of them move like in the, in the next year, because it's just, I think you get to a place where you're just like, I just need a reset. Like I'm not, I'm, I, I don't want to just be the bishop here anymore and, and I'm not, and I don't know how to fit into that. So I just need to move, you know, but and yeah, I, I want to go to priesthood without everybody kind of lowering their head and saying, <laughs> president, uh, how are you? I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. brother daily. Hello. And yeah, that was a good thing. in Logan, they treated me wonderful. There was a Sunday that the elders quorum president has some questions that really pertain to what a state president does. And, uh, he turned and looked at me and said, Brother Daly, what are your thoughts on that? And the whole quorum's like, why is he talking to him? And I'm like, I was almost saying, I don't want to answer, but. They were for their former state. Right. I wanted to be anonymous in that situation. And so now, you know, there's a little bit different feeling, but they were good questions that needed an answer. And I knew the answer. So I would advise brothers, you know, don't, don't try and put a, 
cloth over your head and sit in the back row, you know, just be part of the ward. And, you know, if you have to correct people that, you know, whatever, I mean, Bishop's a, an ordination, but if somebody would come and present, I'd say, my name's Brother Daly. Mike works yeah. as too, you know. And we haven't, formed, because of COVID mostly, but we haven't formed the friendships that are necessary. And I think you brought up a great point, is that you need to have those friendships. Our friendship here with the temple presidency and their wives and the four other missionary couples is amazing. You know, we we go, another thing we do is on Sundays, we drive to a branch that's about 50 miles from here. And we go with another missionary couple and they have a, an attendance of about 40 people and they're wonderful. But, you know, that we teach temple uh, preparation there. And, and so we're, to, we're back in the in the branch, you know, we're in the ward, if you will. Yeah. And, and that's really important is finding friends. I think that helps. Yeah. Awesome. Susan, anything you remember from those transitions from the calling? I mean, do you feel like you finally got your husband back or anything you remember? Oh, um, I remember him coming home the day he was released as bishop and he just said, nobody needed me today. (laughs) Isn't that a good thing? It's just not, it wasn't a good thing for him because that was part of his helping him feel whole and feel himself. So, um, yeah. just, he just, he felt kind of lost, you know, I don't think, it, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I had, I hadn't sat with Susan in sacrament meeting <laughs> oh, that in, was not good. in 25 years. And oh, wow. so he was worse than the children. <laughs> so she finally got me some coloring books and some Cheerios and I was, I didn't know what to do with him. I, I mean, that's the biggest problem. I didn't know what to do with him. I wasn't second guessing <laughs> the things that were happening in the stake and the ward and the quorum, but. Yes, I was. I kept it to myself. And so I would tell other brethren, you know, don't judge other people. Let them run the church the way they're running it. They're inspired. You were set apart. They're set apart. You know, ask how you can sustain and support rather than criticize. And that, yeah. that helped a lot. You know, what what can I do? Any, any brother who's released and doesn't have a calling, I, I always said as a stake president, just go up to your elders quorum president and say, give me your three toughest families. You've got the biggest calling in the ward to be a minister. Yeah. right? And yep. but for some people, I know it's easy to sit and read in a chair, but I, I can't do that. I need to be, I need to be busy. And when I'm busy, then I'm happy. Yeah. yeah. And then was it not until after you were released from your, these heavy callings that you got, you, you actually saw a therapist or? Yes. And, okay. that's and, and so as all, all this was coming to a head, like what did the bad days look like when Susan was finally nudged you to, towards that therapist? I, I don't know how you explain mental illness and anxiety, but you, you just kind of curl up in a ball and you don't want to talk to anybody and you don't want to do anything. There were, there were some other things that I was thinking about that I'd prefer not to share and you know, sure. that only made those things worse. And, you know, but the therapy was unbelievably great. But Good. we weren't, you know, we just weren't where we needed to be. So the opportunity to move to Logan was inspired because the the hospitals and, and care centers in Las Vegas were terrible. And I'd been in most of them to help mm-hmm. other people. 
And so going, I can't praise enough Logan Regional Hospital <laughs> and how great they treated me and how, how inspired they made me feel. And, and, you know, so I went out and pursued the opportunity to work and working at Desert Industries was the key to saying, I, I do have some worth and value. And, um, you know, some of the very, you know, leadership of Desert Industries came to our location and, you know, they were praising me. And so then they wanted to do this, you know, interview like we're doing today. And I just got on there and told my story. And, you know, before I know it, I mean, just praise everywhere. And I'm like, oh, what have I done? And yet when when this kept going up the ladder, when it got to general authorities, they were insistent that, you know, Mary interview me. And the whole point of what I'm talking to you about today is that I need the brethren to not be afraid to just move ahead with it and keep going. Because if you don't, you're going to pay a really heavy price. And yeah. there were days for about a six month period after I quit my work in Logan that I couldn't even get out of bed. I couldn't, I couldn't go downstairs in our house. That was impossible. I couldn't go outside. Uh, I wouldn't shower for like two or three days. I mean, just terrible. And I know people experience that. Well, the mm. only way to get out of it is find something to do. And and that's what I did. I mean, going to the temple and working in the cafeteria, I mean, that was sounded fantastic to me. And before it had been like, why would I waste my time there? You know, no. And now it was the greatest thing ever. And and, and having the doctors at the Logan Regional say, you need, why don't you go to Desert Industries? And, you know, and I told them, and I told them many times, look, if you need to cut your budget, you don't have to pay me. I'll be here tomorrow. And yeah. the reason was because it gave me a sense of purpose. So coming on a mission and being really busy uh, is a good thing. Yeah. Awesome. That's really helpful. I'm, I'm curious, there's this dynamic that um, we experience as church leaders that sometimes can carry over into a health, unhealthy realm. And that is, I don't know if the concept of codependencies come up in, in any of your therapy, sort of this feeling of like, I don't have value unless I'm helping other people with their problems. Is, did mm -hmm. any of that come up or contribute to to your treatment or... Oh, yeah. yeah. In fact, uh, you know, when I was in the mental ward, if you will, I'm sitting there talking to everybody and, well, how did that happen? And where's your family now? <laughs> the doctors are like, Mike, Mike, just let us, you know. <laughs> and and I think that that carries on in your perhaps in your personality. But that's just part of, of being me. And I had to I've stepped way back, you know, but I realized that, you know, I, I've got to focus on me as much as other people. And yeah. if, if you do that, you know, because this thing with our kids, I mean, they're, they're so wonderful, each one of them. But I can see the things that I missed. I mean, I went to scout camp with every one of them. I went to girls camp every year. I mean, I did, you know, but there wasn't the one on one time that I should have had with each one of them. And and yeah. trying to make it up now, they all have their own kids, you know. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's not going to happen. Yeah. So, Time's run out for sure. Yeah. Um yeah. And that's a, interesting. I know for me, like just in my journey and, and you know, the, I'm, I try and be more, more aware of my own mental health, but there, sometimes there's those Sundays where I go to church and come home and, and just that feeling of like, man, I didn't even help anybody or mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, it, 
uh, you know, and I have to sit with that and be like, well, I don't necessarily think you need to go to church to help people. You can just go to church and connect with, with Jesus Christ. That's okay. Yeah, you know, yeah. and, but it's hard, you know, with so many years of showing up and you are the center of everybody's need there. That's what it feels like. And I mean, you got your office, they're lining up outside your office and, yeah. and you sort of lose yourself in that. And you think, oh yeah, this is how I gain value is by fixing other people. And that's, yeah. there's nothing, that's a trap. You know, I agree that so. the, the thing that's that's really great and helped me is obviously we go to the temple five days a week and spend most of the day there. Well, if you can yeah. imagine the focus of the temple is Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father. And how are we yeah. going to return to him? So yep. your focus is, I mean, I try to be nice to people and everything else, but you're administering these ordinances over and over and over again, and they become more than just ordinances. They become profound insight into my relationship with my Heavenly Father and what it's going to take me. And, and so your point is right that, you know, you feel selfish. Well, I didn't help anybody today, but if you helped yourself to grow, if you helped yeah. yourself in your personal relationship with your Father in Heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ, well, then you've accomplished something. And that's awesome. the beauty of serving in the temple. It really is. Yeah. Love it. Well, I, I got um, one more question, I think, that I want to ask each of you. Um, but I'm just excited to hear your of your story, and I appreciate you sharing it. And um, I'm, I love the fact that you're on this mission, and uh, we just wish you the best of luck. And we're actually doing a, a Leading Saints Church History Tour at the end of October. So I'm going to come tap you on the shoulder in yes, a few months right. and uh, love to, love to snap you. a selfie or something while I'm there. But. That would be great. <laughs> But uh, last question I have, and Susan, I'll start with you and then, then Michael, but just in this journey of mental health, you know, I'm obviously you have your own mental health that you've been monitoring and, and hopefully keeping keeping well along with your husband. But how has how has this journey of, of mental health helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Oh, that's that's easy. <laughs> there were days there were days when I felt like I could not do this anymore. He was non-responsive. He was, um, he would call me every five minutes to make sure I was there. He was so, his anxiety was so high and he was so afraid of everything. And, you know, you just think I can't do this anymore. And mm. I got down on my knees and I prayed and I said, I can't, I can't do it, but there's no one else to do it. There's nobody else to do it. And so I just prayed, and every time, every single time I got off my knees, I just went, I was able to just go forward and just go do it. And I know it was because my Savior was right there. He knew what was happening. He knew that maybe this was a process we had to go through to learn things that, that we've learned on the way and um, helped me every step of the way. So I have a better relationship with my Heavenly Father and my Savior because... I knew that I couldn't do it alone. There's no way in the world I could have come through this in one piece, mentally or physically, without their help. So yeah. it, was a, it was a great faith-building experience for me. Michael, what about you? How's your personal journey with mental health uh, helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Well, I would tell you quickly that Section 121 and Section 122 of the Doctrine and Covenants 
uh, become great friends. And, you know, we don't, we don't know why the Lord puts certain trials in our life or certain situations. And, and I hope that the leaders who listen to this and other people will understand that it, just because it's good this week doesn't mean it's going to be great next week. And earlier this week, I've had some real tough thing to get through and, and, you know, and I, I'm, I'm getting through it, but I refer back to those verses, you know, the Lord didn't ask me to, you know, be crucified. He didn't ask me to spend all that time in Liberty jail, but the prophet Joseph and our Lord and Savior did these things to bless our lives. And, you know, when you read section 122 and all, all this shall be for thy good and give the experience. Well, <laughs> I appreciate that. And that helps me to understand the Heavenly Father loves me and that the Lord Jesus Christ has done what he's done. We have a picture in the, in the temple here in Palmyra of the Lord's suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's a picture of the angel Gabriel there helping him. And that helps me a lot to know that the Lord knows what I've gone through. He knows what I'm suffering. He knows the way out. And I hope by the end of my mortal existence that I've learned things that can help people. And maybe on the other side, as I'm teaching the gospel, that people will, you know, have situations and I'll be able to help them. So I would... You know, I would advise anyone that those sacred scriptures, uh, given in such a terrible place, but and at such a high price, but they are sacred and they can help anyone to understand. That concludes this episode of the Leading Saints podcast. We'd love to hear from you about your questions or thoughts or comments. You can either leave a comment on the uh, post related to this episode at leadingsaints.org or go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and send us your perspective or questions. If there's other episodes or topics you'd like to hear on the Leading Saints podcast, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and share with us the information there. And we would love for you to share this with any individual you think this would apply to, especially maybe individuals in your ward council or other leaders that you may know who would really appreciate the perspectives that we discussed. Remember, there's more of these conversations and presentations to hear in the Mentally Healthy Saints virtual library that you can access for free at leadingsaints.org slash 14. You have 14 days to get through all this content and you're gonna love it. It's gonna help your uh, journey of being a mentor, a leader, helping individuals who struggle with mental health. So go to leadingsaints.org slash 14. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.